Well, we're in the book of Colossians, and we're going to do a little, just a little bit of review. Uh, we've been on a little trip the last three or four weeks. Uh, we wanted to, you know, blend that back into the book of Colossians now and see just where the Apostle Paul is taking us and what he was dealing with in, in the Colossian church. Now you might remember from the map we showed uh, that Colossae was located in Asia Minor and on the coast was the city of Ephesus and then there was this valley that ran up with a river and about a hundred miles up you had the town of Colossae. So it was a little bit away from Ephesus but you know you remember Colossians, Ephesians, the twin epistles of the New Testament and the churches were very close together and they were uh, as it were suffering the same kinds of problems that Paul uh, was addressing to each one of them and we'll see that Paul mentions um, here in our passage today Laodicea Laodicea was only about 10 miles from Colossae so they all were experiencing the same kinds of issues and you know Paul is uh, I don't know how long to say really going after them uh, to encourage them in their faith in Christ so we're going to back up and, and look at just by way of review you might remember in, in chapter 1 and verse 13 uh, one of the things that it pays to keep in mind is where these Christians were and where we are because we're all in the same boat and in verse 13 Paul, Paul says that uh, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness or the powers of darkness and transferred us or conveyed us into the kingdom of his beloved son and that word transferred we mentioned was an aorist tense that i mean that indicates finality it's permanent when you've been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love and he says then in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins well what a place to be what a meaningful thing it is for one to trust in christ and to know that they have been placed into Christ, that you have been placed into his kingdom. It's a present reality for us. Paul's concern, though, even though they had been transferred into this kingdom, was the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that these believers had, whether great or small whether right or wrong. He wanted them to have a proper and correct knowledge of Christ, to delve into the deep wisdom that is in Christ. So, he goes on to say that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Think that one through for just a little bit. The Lord Jesus Christ 
is the visible image to you and I of the invisible God. So he is the representation of Yahweh. And you may remember that several weeks ago we preached through several passages in the Old Testament where remember we saw two Yahwehs in the Old Testament. And the Jew, the ancient Jewish rabbis called them the two powers in heaven. And they recognized that there was a distinction there. And in each of those places we saw that one Yahweh was visible and the other Yahweh was invisible. But both were called Yahweh. Here, Paul's indicating that very thing that Jesus Christ, now born in the flesh as the God-man, is the rep visible representation of the invisible God in heaven. So, if you want to know about God in heaven, then you better get to know Jesus. And it's more than just saying a prayer and saying, Lord, I, I believe that you're the Son of God and that you died for my sins and I want to become a Christian and please forgive me of my sins, you know, and boom, that's it. Now I'm on my way to heaven. I've escaped going to hell and it's all over. No, there is far more to being a Christian than just trusting and sitting on a prayer that you prayed one day or one night or whenever. It goes far beyond that. Oh, he says then that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And that word dwell again implies permanence. That in Christ the fullness of God dwelt in him. That again is important to understand. We need to know that. We need to believe that. The believers in Colossae then are assured that a very simple thing, having been reconciled to God, that he had a purpose for them. And that was to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him he says if indeed you continue in the faith you see to depart from the faith or as the writer of Hebrews says to shrink back from walking in faith has damaging results and it will hurt you one day in a big way Paul's admonition, the writer of Hebrews' admonition, is to maintain faith. Continue walking in the faith. That's why, I, I, I don't know how many times, probably dozens now, I've mentioned uh, Hebrews uh, 11, uh, where the writer there says, these all died in faith. It was important to the writer of Hebrews to list all those in chapter 11 to indicate they died in faith. There isn't a one listed in there that didn't die in faith. Not a one. 
That's why they aren't listed there. Because anyone who did shrink back from walking in faith, you aren't going to make the list. One of those would be Demas. Remember Paul said, Demas has forsaken me. He quit. God doesn't want us to be quitters when it comes to walking in faith. Keep the faith. Then he goes on to tell us about this, this mystery, he said, that was hidden in ages and generations past. But now, he says, has been revealed to who? His saints. To Christians. This mystery is ours. And that mystery, of course, he repeats. And he says it in, in someday I want to, I'd like to go through and preach on or teach on all of those different passages about the mystery. Because he gives this mystery from several different angles. But the basic thing is, is that Gentiles are now full-fledged partners in the faith. They have been brought into the riches and the fullness of what God had promised to the nation of Israel. And those who, those, by the way, in Israel who would maintain faith. If they didn't maintain faith, and that was all those in chapter 11 of Hebrews, then they were in trouble. Chapter 10, he warned them about shrinking back, about not doing so. So Paul's burden then was that he might present every believer blameless. You know, but, and, and in order to do that, in order for that to happen, he says, I'm teaching and warning. And we don't like to hear the negatives very much. We like those positive things in the scripture, don't we? I, mean, I do, don't you? I don't like reading about all those things that's going to happen if I don't keep the faith, if I don't maintain my walk with Christ. They scare you to death. Well, that's what they're there for. They ought to. They're there to prompt us to want to be faithful and to maintain and keep our walk with Christ. And so he says, I want to present every believer mature in Christ, to be complete, to be a fully functioning Christian. And you know, that requires knowledge. That requires that we gain knowledge of Christ. But it's, it, you know, it's more than just Reading, reading the Bible or reading a book and gaining some information about Jesus. It's taking what you learn and then applying it right here and living it. And if we don't do that, if we're not in his word where we find those things, then we're, we're not going to progress. We're just going to walk through life as a baby Christian. And when we die, we'll die as a baby Christian. And when we go to meet Jesus at his judgment seat, we're going to be a baby Christian because you haven't grown, you haven't matured in the Lord Jesus. So how do you do that? Well, you get in into this book. This is where you find the riches of Christ. And so Paul's going to go on to tell us about that. 
in chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, uh, Paul's uh, concern here was, and you look at this term, he says, I struggle. And back in chapter 1 and, and verse uh, 29, he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Now, that's an amazing verse right there. Because right before that, he says he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. Then he says, for this I toil, I labor, struggling with all how the is energy. Not my own energy, but with God's energy, with his. I couldn't do it otherwise. It's not possible. And that word struggling and the word struggle in chapter 2 and verse 1, they're related words. They're the same word. They're cognates of one or the other. And they are um, athletic terms. It just means like wrestlers in the arena. They're just struggling and fighting with each other, trying to gain dominance. And that's what Paul's talking about. He has a hard struggle with this. He's, he's in a fight, and he recognizes it. And so he struggles with this. But, you know, and Paul's never even been to Colossae. We remember we talked about that. He, he, none of them, he says, has seen my face. But yet he had a concern and a care for this church just as much as he did for the believers at Ephesus, where he spent some three years teaching and preaching. And also then he says, for all, who have, uh, all those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. It didn't matter to Paul. He carried the burden that they might become complete and mature in Christ. So he go, and he explains how this is all going to happen. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. You know, and, and again, we've gone over this, but when we think of our heart, you know, we usually just think of one thing. Emotion, feeling, how our hearts feel or how our hearts beat for something or someone. But in the scriptures, heart is far more than that. And you'll find out about that in the book that Ken mentioned in Jonathan, The Clean Heart. Heart in scripture takes in uh, mind, emotion, and will. It takes in everything that is in our inner being. And so Paul's, in, in, in when he talks about hearts here, he wants us inwardly to be encouraged in these things. I think, is it the King James says comfort? Well, in the day that the King James was translated, that was a perfectly fine word. We just don't use it that way today. It meant to be encouraged. And that's why the newer translations use the word encourage. And he, and he encourages them. You know, what his goal here is, is to, that they might stand firm in the faith and that they might press on towards the goal of their faith. So it requires steadfastness. It requires diligence on our part that we would continue in the faith and not give up in our walk. And he goes on to tell them then, uh, 
being knit, Mike, and, and there's, these are some things that he goes on to, to elaborate on how their hearts could be encouraged. And he says that they would be knit together in love. And we're going to, we'll visit with this just a little bit as we come to the end of the message. But the point, <clears throat> excuse me, the point that he is making here is that as long as the believers in an assembly of Christ are knit together in love, if false teaching enters in, what's going to happen? Division. It will always divide. When you have unity of love or oneness of love or being knit together in love, as he says here, then when false teaching or someone comes in who presents something that is out of line with the doctrine of Christ, then you're going to know right away. The mature believers will. Baby Christians won't. They're easily persuaded, as we're going to see in this passage. He says to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. This full assurance of understanding. You know, it's one thing, as we said earlier, to know in our head about the doctrine of Christ. And we might be able to go to the Bible and look at all kinds of verses and understand what the Bible says about Jesus or about heaven or about the judgment seat of Christ or about death or any number of things. But it's another thing to have the full confidence in that. In other words, when trials and testings come, where does our confidence lie? Do we run to the scriptures then and rest in what God has told us, the promises He's given us? If we don't, if you know, if it's all locked in up here and it doesn't make it down here to our heart, then faith is going to waver. Faith is going to well, he's going to, we're going to do what he said up there earlier in chapter one. We're going to shift away from the hope of the gospel. And Paul's desire is that we not do that. Excuse me. I'm losing it again. It's okay. So my point, what's what's Paul's point here? Some, you know, it's, it's, I'm afraid I'll get ahead of myself, but, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, well. Um, this, this full assurance, he says, of understanding you know, as we said, some the weaker Christians are going to be susceptible to listening to persuasive words. You know, and when you know what frequently happens is somebody comes in who is very skillful with words, and they can be very persuasive. You know, I'm always scared when I hear a preacher. You know, he said, well, I, I've got a text I want to preach on this morning. And he says, turn to so-and-so and you read a verse and you lay your Bible down. And that's the last time you look in your Bible. 
all the rest of that message is dependent on that guy's skill in preaching and you really don't know where he's going you know you read what what do you want then you want somebody who is tied to the text you want to tether around them with an anchor right here and not moving away from what the scriptures teach when you have someone and, and by the way you look on preachers on tv some of them don't even give you a verse they just stand up and start preaching and they don't even refer to the bible you never even see a bible in their hand you want to be scared of somebody like that now Epaphras was the one probably who started the church at Colossae, one of Paul's associates, and we can be sure, absolutely sure, that he had taught them correctly. I mean, if Paul had instructed Epaphras, then he conveyed the truth of the gospel to the church at Colossae. What I'm getting at is they hadn't paid then. They hadn't departed from the faith. Paul is warning them about conditions in Ephesus and Colossae and Laodicea about those who would come in and seek to lead them astray with persuasive words. And so he, he, he tells them and he goes and refers back again to this, this mystery. He says the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. And by the way, the word knowledge there is that, that familiar word we've talked about so many times. It's epignosis. It's the full knowledge. You see, and again, it's, it's one thing to have a knowledge of Christ. It's another thing to have a full knowledge. And that's Paul's desire. He wants us to keep going on in Christ and gaining that full knowledge that belongs to us. And he says that's where the riches are, in whom are hidden all the riches, uh, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have nowhere else to go to find them except in Christ. And so we, we seek him in his word. And this, this, by the way, is his word. And as Jeff is always wanting to remind us, you know, this, this, this word is alive because it's his word. It's a living word. It's not just ink and things printed on a page. You read this to gain a knowledge of the one who paid the price to save you from your sins and to place you into his kingdom. To deliver you, in other words, from the domain of darkness. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, you know, we were under the, under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. You may not have thought about it that way. Life may have been really good and happy for you. And somebody told you about Christ and you believed the gospel. And, you, you know, you, you've never wavered since then. You've trusted in the Lord. But this is the reality of what happened. And those evil powers wanted to keep you under their domain. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ delivered us from that by his resurrection from the dead. Now, he says these things are hidden. Treasures that are hidden. You know, it, it's like, it's not so much the idea that, you know, somebody went out and they found this cool little place and they decided they would, they would hide something about Jesus over there. And now you've got to go run and find it. You know, it's the idea that they are stored up. They are kept for you and for me. Every believer has access to these riches in Christ. And uh, you know, it's the same thing that Peter said. Peter said in the second Peter, yeah, 3.18. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Peter's message wasn't any different than Paul's. It was to grow into maturity. It was to come to that place of that full assurance. As he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, or, no, wait a minute, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, that we might have a rich welcome into Christ's kingdom. Now, did you, did you hear that? We just, we just had Paul tell us here that you have already been placed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Peter says, though, there is a yet future aspect to Christ's kingdom, a manifestation of it, the reality of it, right here on this earth, when the Lord Jesus comes back, when we stand before him, where it's going to be determined what kind of welcome we have into his kingdom. Baby Christians are going to be welcomed as baby Christians. Mature Christians will be welcomed as mature Christians. And don't think for a moment that that's you know, not going to make a difference. Because it's going to be the determining factor of how he places us in positions of honor and glory and authority under his dominion, under his rule. And that's what we have to look forward to. When Paul talks about the, the, um, the hope of glory, it's you and I being glorified in his kingdom in the future and it will happen then but it's important to realize we're also there now and it's our responsibility then to walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ and to grow and to mature in him now he says um, in verse 4 I say this in order that in other words, the things he said in verses 1, 2, and 3, I say this in order that. Here's why, he says, that you won't be deceived or beguiled with plausible arguments. Now, to be deceived there, I think we understand what the word deceived means. The problem was false teachers were entering in, or Paul was warning them, about entering in who had great skill 
and using their words and presenting their arguments. And you got to, you know, and, and you and you really have to understand the culture of the day. What was it like in that first century when Paul was preaching the gospel to these various places? Well, they were steeped in idolatry. And they worshiped their false gods. I think you remember I mentioned about, you know, it was things that people were confronted with every day. And one of those I mentioned was, um, I, I, it was crazy when I read this, and I didn't, I didn't know this till a couple weeks ago, but you know, walking down the road and you came to a crossroads and there at that crossroads was, a, was an idol. And you had to determine, you know, by appealing to that idol, what direction you were supposed to go. So you just imagine everybody having to face that every day, but not only them, but Christians having to deal with this every day in the marketplace. There were temples everywhere to false gods. We walk, we walk out the door here, we don't face those kinds of things. So Paul, when he warns them about these who have these nice sounding, very appealing arguments. And he said, you better be on the lookout for them. The word delude there means to cheat by a false reckoning to, to cheat them. Um, that's not the one I wanted to read there. Then he says, no one. He says, I say this in order that no one, not even one person, so when you see even one come into the assembly and there are discerning believers who can pick up on what they're doing he says that Paul didn't say it but the implication is you run them out don't associate with them and stay away so then he, in, in verse 5 he goes on to talk about the fact that he's not there with them. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And that, that was meant to be an encouragement to them. That I haven't been there to Colossae to meet with you. But I want you to know that I haven't forgotten you. That you are in my prayers. That I care about you. And this letter that I have written here was a, a demonstration of that, of Paul's current concern and care, his love for them, and enough, of course, to be that way for us. He tells them, <clears throat> I'm rejoicing to see. Now, obviously, again, Paul's not using the word see here in a physical sense because he hadn't been there. But others, and particularly Epaphras, because remember, Epaphras had gone to Paul who, by the way, was in prison at this time. So we don't want to forget that. And he's writing back to this church. And he says, I'm rejoicing. We would say it to hear about. 
to see your good order. I forget how the King James translates that. But the whole idea is, again, it's a military term. It's talking about soldiers being able to stay in a rank and not break step. Man, I remember being in the army and having to practice staying in step and walking in a straight line. And somebody got out of step, it, you could see it immediately. And we had one poor fella. How in the world he got in the army, I don't know. But I, I felt sorry for him. I, I, think, I think really his dad must have had some kind of connection uh, and got him in. That's all we could figure out. But he, he struggled. So the drill sergeant made him walk at the back all by himself because he couldn't keep step. I mean, he, he had, you know, he had a funny gait and he, he, I don't know if he had a limp in his leg, I don't remember now how it was, but he wouldn't let him walk with everybody else. This term here Paul's talking about, you know, and, and it's talking about, say, a line, of, a line of soldiers in battle. And if you've ever watched them, especially if you walk, what did we watch the other day in that movie? But, you know, it was about Rome. Uh, anyway, they were fighting. Oh, I know what it was, Ben-Hur. We watched the updated version of Ben-Hur. And, you know, the soldiers were out, and they formed a line. Well, the idea was in battle, if you're going to fight, don't break rank. Don't let the enemy slip through a crack. Stay in line. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, Concerning the church at Colossae, you have a crack. You have maintained a steady line. And you're strong. You're firm. Nobody had gotten to them yet, even though Paul's warning them about those coming into... By the way, you remember Jude? Jude said, Beware of those who have slipped in unawares. They come in looking pretty cool. But it's not long before they've got somebody over here in a corner whispering in their ear. And then spreading whatever dangerous doctrine they've got on their mind. So he rejoiced to see their good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Firmness. Your steadfastness. Your stability in Christ. So if you want to reach the riches that are in Christ, that are hidden in Him, then we need to search Him. Go after Jesus. Go after Him. Seek Him out. See what He'll do for you. I know many of you have been doing that for years and years. And you've maintained a walk with Him that is rich and full. And I've asked those for Lord, I'd like to live a little bit longer. I'd like to, I'd like to learn some more things about Jesus. I'll, I'll, but I'll, I don't want to, I don't want to do what Hezekiah did. I don't, I don't want to fail. I want, I want to stay faithful. But I want to learn about Jesus. I want to know what the depth of those riches are all about. I want to rejoice in all the things that God has given us in him because he is the visible 
manifestation of the invisible God. And what we see in Jesus is what we will see, and not with the material eye, but what we will see concerning God in heaven, our heavenly Father, in other words, who is the invisible God. Stay with Jesus Christ, Paul is telling them, and you can't go wrong. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings, for the richness and the fullness that, that we find in Christ, because in him is the hope of the coming glory, the full reign of our Lord Jesus Christ over this earth. I pray, Father, that you would give us the grace to understand what that means and why we need to be faithful now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.